There's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when you think you've got the hang of it, you're becoming a parent again for your own mom and dad. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. Our topic today is veterans benefits and we've made a road trip to Nashville, Tennessee, otherwise known as Music City, to visit my friend, attorney Chris Johnson. Chris is a retired major from the Marine Corps where he was a legal support team member and he now practices with the Takex McGinnis Elder Law Firm near Nashville, Tennessee. He and his wife and son are parishioners of the Our Lady of Lake Catholic Church in Hendersonville and we're really pleased to be here with you, Chris. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. Thank you for having me, Chris. We're very glad to have you down here. And I can uh, tell you that it's now my wife, my son, and my daughter, who is now a month old. We just had a baby on September 1st. Congratulations. Thanks so much. So we're, we're not only colleagues in the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, we're both from the Detroit area and fans of Michigan football. And perhaps it's fitting that somebody like you, who spent so much time in the big house, would be comfortable working with such a big bureaucracy like the Veterans Administration. Just how big is it? So a lot of people don't realize, Chris, that the Department of Veterans Affairs is the second largest department in the United States government. It employs over 375,000 people. And when you think about it, that that's the population of a mid-sized town. Hmm. And the Veterans Health Administration, and that's how it's broken down into three sections, the Veterans Health Administration, the Veterans Benefits Administration, and then the National Cemeteries Administration, the Veterans Health Administration is the largest medical provider in the country with over 1,200 medical treatment facilities. So it is a vast, vast organization. Sounds like there's probably one near you. I think there are 20, an average of 24 per state. So you have health, cemeteries, what was the other one? And then the benefits administration. And, and that's the one when most people, they use the colloquial term, well, I'm just there to get my VA benefits. Well, it, it depends which benefits you're talking about. And I always say that the language matters when it comes to this because you're going to be engaging with the VA. And if you don't learn to speak their language, you, you will bat your head against the wall a few times. And you probably need to have a good idea of uh, who you're talking to, or at least what their mission is, right? There's so many different flavors out there and you want to know what it is that they do. So the, the health organization with your hospitals, outpatient clinics and That's things correct. like that. That's absolutely it. And then there's the benefits, which is where to get payment to pay for the care. And so a lot of things that people talk about and not even payment for the care as much as the service connected pension for those people who suffered some type of disability during service or an injury or had an injury aggravated during service. 
You have the non-service connected pension for those people who are suffering catastrophic medical costs and need help in paying those. And then lots of things that we think of that you just, you don't put them all together in this same umbrella, but you have the GI Bill. That's a Veterans Benefit Administration. So all of the education assistance, dependence educational assistance, vocational rehab and employment training, your VA loan for your VA home loan process, all of that falls under the umbrella. So when you call up the VA and say, well, I'm interested in pursuing VA benefits, which one you're (laughs) pursuing matters a great deal. Wow. And then then you had the cemetery division. That's correct. When you say cemetery division, are they they have a a particular cemetery that the deceased vets are buried in or how does that work? Yeah. So there's one that I think we're all familiar with and that's Arlington and that Mm -hmm. falls under the National Cemeteries Association. And then throughout all of the states, there are national cemeteries in every state. And like a lot of things in the VA, they have a priority group for who's eligible to be buried in that. You don't have to be. There's no requirement that because you're a veteran, you're buried in a national cemetery. You can be buried where you wish. But now the National Cemetery Administration, interestingly enough, they are going through and kind of revamping things as a veteran. I actually received a a survey from the National Cemeteries Administration because sadly, they're running out of room. Land is a finite thing. And they need to make sure that they're able to fit the veterans in who request to be buried in those cemeteries. So they're looking at who should be qualified, who should be eligible to do it. And they're also putting out a predetermination system so that you can reach out to a national cemetery while you're still living and get some certainty. Yes, I can be buried here. No, I can't. And not leave that as a problem for your family to deal with after your passing. So that's a good thing. They're really trying hard to make things right for the veterans. Hmm. This is the Sandwich Generation on Redeemer Radio. I'm Chris Gonfrey, and my guest is attorney Chris Johnson, a retired major of the U.S. Marine Corps, and now an estate planning attorney specializing in helping veterans and their families get the benefits due them for their military service. So, Chris, you were telling me earlier that there are two main types of compensation, service-connected benefits and non-service pension. Let's begin with the first one. What kinds of service-connected benefits are available and how do you qualify for them? So, service-connected compensation, also known as disability compensation, is a tax-free monthly benefit for those that have suffered an injury or had an, a pre-existing condition or injury aggravated by their military service. And the idea is that you have a malady or something wrong with you that is going to cause uh, lifelong difficulty, and therefore there should be a tax-free monetary compensation for that. And the key element when people are pursuing these claims, and it's a word you'll want to get very familiar with and comfortable with, is the word nexus. And that is the current issue you are dealing with has to have a nexus with regards to your service. So let's say you broke your leg in service and now your leg is shorter. One leg is actually physically shorter than the other leg. And that now is causing you back problems in your elder years. So you can claim service connected not only for the broken leg and for the difference in length of your legs, but then you can say a secondary effect is that has given me back problems if your medical provider says, yes, this is the root cause of your back problems is that your legs are differing lengths. Now that's, you know, might be an extreme example, but I I like to use obvious examples to make it paint a clear picture for the listeners out there. And what they're trying to do is find something. And 
oftentimes the difficult part is that burden falls on the veterans to reach out and get a professional medical opinion to prove the nexus between what's wrong with them and what happened in the service. And our population, because our medical standards are so high, our population is living longer, which is a good thing, but we are living longer with more and more chronic diseases, you know, high blood pressure, heart disease, all of these things that type two diabetes we can live with, but they are causing problems. And some of those things are difficult to tie in. Now, the VA has also recognized that there are times where you shouldn't have to prove that nexus. And such things like if you were exposed to Agent Orange when you served in Vietnam, mm -hmm. they have what they call a presumptive conditions list. And basically, if you have something off the presumptive conditions list, they're going to say, you don't have to prove the nexus. All you have to do is prove to us that you served in the country of Vietnam. Because if you served in the country of Vietnam, we presume you were exposed to Agent Orange, and then we presume that Agent Orange caused this. And that helped a lot of the Vietnam veterans with some conditions that should have been covered, and that that list is ever-evolving. In fact, we're waiting for the next National Defense Act to come out because they may actually add a few conditions to that list. And so we're kind of waiting with bated breath, if you will, to see what happens. Also, the Gulf War, the Gulf War syndrome is another one where they're looking at having some presumptive conditions. And we want to see what those things are and the good that it does. And another just furtherance of taking care of our Vietnam era veterans is they took the presumptive exposure of Agent Orange and extended it 12 nautical miles out for the Navy, for Navy personnel that were on ship within the territorial waters of Vietnam, and they refer to them as the Blue Water Navy, those are the Blue Water veterans that now are getting that presumptive exposure that uh, up until this past year, they haven't been afforded that. And so the VA just made an announcement that over 22,000 Blue Water claims had been processed and approved. And that's a big win for our veterans. That's a great thing, making sure they're compensated for, for maladies that they suffered in service. Yes, great. Is it a difficult thing for most veterans to prove that nexus if they're not on that presumptive list? It, it can be difficult. It kind of depends on what the injury is, what the malady is. And so that example I gave with the broken leg, a lot of people would consider that that's a pretty simple one. You know, your, your medical provider is going to look at you and say, well, yeah, that's obvious. I'm, I'm happy to write that letter for you. And then there are some that are a lot more attenuated where it's a secondary to your primary service connection. And I refer to that affectionately as the Texas two-step, which is what that back one was. Your service connected for the short leg that short leg is causing this other one. So that back issue is considered secondary to your primary service connected because there is a nexus there, they will also compensate that one. But sometimes people will get things in their heads. This ought to be covered. Well, I took this medication and I think that this is a side effect. And then we do the research and it doesn't show that as a side effect. And you have to have a real frank and sometimes difficult conversation with a client and say that the science isn't there. And when the science has truly been looked at and it's not there, you always feel bad because these people are suffering. They just might not be suffering due to something that happened in service. And, and that can be disappointing for them. But that's the right solution. The harder one is in these evolving areas. And like I said, we're waiting for maybe some conditions to be added to the Asian orange presumptive condition list where the science is moving that way. But the veteran, we need help now. And, and they mm -hmm. say, listen, I'm suffering from this. And there are studies that are starting to show this, but it kind of hasn't hit that tipping point, that inflection point where the VA says, yes, we're just going to agree. 
And, and those can really tug at your heartstrings because, you know, the hard part is the veteran waiting. And yeah. I think we, we've seen that in the news a lot with the healthcare side, and it's also on the benefit side. The VA has a very broad mission, and it has, I mean, think about all the veterans that we have out there. It's probably understaffed and underfunded for what its mission is, and that's tough. All the more reason why you want to know exactly what to do, and you want to have a navigator because you don't want to be the person just kind of going through the maze blindfolded. You want to know, I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what to ask. I know exactly what to say. So that if you have a valid claim, that it can get approved as quickly as possible. You're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Redeemer Radio. I'm Chris Godfrey. My guest, Chris Johnson, is an estate planning and elder law attorney, but he specializes in VA benefits. And he's got lots of work in this area, and he's a very knowledgeable person when it comes to it. We're talking about the types of benefits that are available. We just talked about service-connected benefits, which is one of the two main types of compensation available. And now the other type that we'd like to discuss is something known as non-service pension. Now, what is that, and how can you qualify to receive it? Absolutely. So non-service-connected pension is one of my favorites because I I refer to it as this this little secret that no one knows about. People oftentimes don't understand that there is this compensation out there for those that fall under certain criteria. So with the service connected, it doesn't matter what your financial status is. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you have a service connection, you get it. With a non-service connected pension, there are military service requirements, and then there are also medical requirements. And so with the service requirements, what they want to see is that you've served at least 90 days on active duty. At least one of those days came during a wartime period. And the wartime periods, and I'll just give some general ones here, World War II, December 7th, 1941 through December 31st, 1946. Korea's June 27th, 1950 through January 31, 1955. Vietnam is an interesting one because they have a time where you were required to have boots on the ground, and then there's a time period where it didn't matter if you served in the country or not. So Vietnam has February 28th, 1961 to August 5th, 1964, if you served in Vietnam. If not, then it's August 5th, 1964 through May 7th, 1975, and then the Gulf War opened August 2nd. And this is kind of what I refer to as the proverbial pig in the python. It opened August 2nd, 1990, and is yet to be closed. Mm-hmm. It is the largest wartime period by a factor of two of any of the previous ones we've opened. And so the VA already has trillions of dollars of, of future liabilities in paying prospective pension claims, prospective service-connected compensation claims, and that is only going to balloon here as our as that population of veterans ages. And it's kind of hard to believe, but the first Gulf War was 30 years ago now. Yeah. And that that is kind of stunning. And so those people are, are starting to near the retirement age, and it's something that the VA is going to have to face. So I talked about the wartime periods and I talked about the service requirements. Now, they also make sure that you have a characterization of service that's not dishonorable. Now, that's odd because the DOD characterizes services, uh, especially in enlisted personnel, it's five very finite characterizations of discharge. Honorable, general under honorable, other than honorable, bad conduct discharge, 
and dishonorable discharge. The first three are administrative discharges and the last two are punitive that can be only awarded at a court-martial. The odd thing is you would think, okay, if I don't have a dishonorable discharge, I'm good. Well, that's not the case because the VA looks at discharges differently. And so if you've ever been denied because of characterization of discharge, there are two big options. I kind of One is the Hail Mary where you go to a board of corrections and ask for your discharge to be upgraded, a very difficult task. And the other is to have the VA conduct its own discharge characterization where they review it and say, was this a character dishonorable? And so one that you might think, perhaps you received a drug charge or maybe a few DUI charges and you got punished at a court-martial and have a bad conduct discharge, but it turns out that you were suffering PTSD from combat time, Mm. you can ask the VA to look at it and say, there's a nexus between my misconduct that led to the poor discharge and my service in that I was self-medicating. And they will often do the right thing and still provide the benefit to that individual. So and that PSTD, that's the post post traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, mm-hmm. and it can be it can be devastating on people. Yeah. And so those are the service requirements. And then then you have the financial. And so the financial are simple. It's a two tiered test, and you got to meet both. There's an asset test, and your net worth cannot be above right now. It's $129,094. It goes up just a little bit each year to kind of uh, follow along with inflation. Mm -hmm. And the good news is it doesn't count your home so long as your home is on a piece of land less than two acres. If it's above two acres, you're still not out of luck. But then there's a question of is it marketable and a few other issues like that. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece is your income. And so you have what's called the IVAP. I call it the simple simplest math problem you'll learn to hate. And it's income for VA purposes. And they take your gross income. If you're a married couple, you are treated as a unit, period, end of story. There's no, well, you know, we keep our finances separate. If you're married, it's together. If you guys are living separate lives, you can basically kind of ask the VA for a waiver and you submit an affidavit swearing to that and they'll look at it. But for the most part, you consider it as a team. They take all of your gross income and they subtract out your regularly recurring, and remember that phrase, regularly recurring unreimbursed medical expenses. And what they want to do is they want to make sure essentially you have a floor. So if I have $4,000 in gross income and I have $3,000 in unreimbursed medical expenses, I have an IVAP of $1,000. Well, if I need aid and attendance as a single veteran, well, I'm a married veteran, so let's use me as a married veteran. The number is $2,266. That's the maximum they will give me per month. Well, they see that I'm already netting 1000 after dealing with all these costs. So they will award me what's called a partial pension. So they'll take 1000 out of that mapper and that it'll be left with $1,266. And that's what I will receive. But if my income for VA purposes becomes zero or a negative number where I'm upside down, I will hit the max monthly pension rate for a married veteran that's $2,266. The idea is that they give you some sort of a floor. And for the most part, that's correct, except if you are in a nursing home and paying eight or $9,000 a month and you have $4,000 of income, if you're a negative 5,000, they're not going to make up all that 5,000. That's why there's that maximum rate. And so I always say VA is a good program, but it's tailored to a specific segment of the population. And when you think about if you're in a nursing facility, the federal government and all the states have Medicaid programs. So, you know, the state's execution of the federal Medicaid program in Tennessee, it's called TINCARE. 
And so that program is there for those people. A lot of people, what's a typical married veteran is you'll see a $1,500 social security. And just because of the time, you know, many years ago, women tended to work less or work in lower paying jobs. So the wife's social security might be a thousand. It lags behind a little bit. So they have $2,500 in income. Maybe they got a small pension, maybe they don't. And they move into assisted living facility because they need help with activities of daily living. And so that's where the aid and attendance comes in. They need help with at least two of them. And what happens is they have $2,500 in income. They're paying $4,500 in expenses to the assisted living facility. Well, lo and behold, the $2,200 max pension, it kind of fills that gap neatly. And so Mm -hmm. when people ask, how are these max rates tailored? They're kind of tailored for that segment. And Mm -hmm. it, it might be an imperfect system. The frustration for us is that Medicaid rules and VA rules can sometimes clash. And what's good for VA is bad for Medicaid and vice versa. And so to the untrained person trying to navigate and do the planning for this without having an eye, you know, further down the field can get you in trouble. Hmm. Well, as a member of the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, you offer services that extend beyond the basic estate planning per se. For example, for clients with chronic illnesses, you can help them find, get, and pay for long-term care. And these VA benefits are part of the paying for it. So when a new prospective client comes to you, sits down, tells you their situation, how does the conversation usually get around to discussing any VA benefits that they may be eligible for? Well, uh, that, that conversation goes something like this. When we bring someone in, the first thing and the most important thing that we need to do is listen. Clients need to be heard. And so I ask clients every time the following three questions. I want to know what their worries are. I want to know what their goals are. I want to know what they're hoping to get by our representation. And then I want to know what brought them in. Because oftentimes I always joke that estate planning is something that's easy to push off because, well, we all think, well, I'm not going to pass away tomorrow. And so we just keep pushing that off. And so I get that 30,000 foot view. And then what I'm looking to do is solve their problems. And one of the big questions we ask for every single client is, are you a veteran? And if so, when did you serve? And once I see that, Then we get into the discussion of I apply their financial picture. I look at their health stuff because we ask a very detailed health questionnaire on all of our workbooks as well. Because at the end of the day, like you said, our mission, we want to help them find and pay for good care. And we need to know what their care is because the important part is that they're taken care of. That's the most important thing for our clients. Getting the estate plan, I almost is considered a complementary piece to that. And so when we're doing that, that's when we evaluate them for VA and we say, hey, were you aware of these benefits out there? And then we, if they weren't, we explain to them service connected, explain to them non-service connected and make a recommendation which path to pursue. Because another thing most people don't know is you cannot collect both. So if you apply for one and have the other, and I actually did this once with someone who had I knew it was going to be close. They had kind of a a small service-connected compensation coming, and they also would have gotten a partial pension. And I said, you know, I'm not really sure with the math it was tight which one will be more beneficial. Let's apply. And we did, and we got a nice letter back from the VA, and it turned out what we applied for would have been slightly less, and therefore we, we stayed on the original benefits. But you need to make that decision, and the client needs to make an informed decision. Most clients who come in, are blown away that these benefits are even out there. They're kind of hidden. It's a nice reward for having served our country. And one of our 
you went into battle or played war games was probably a lot like me going into playing big games in the big house, you know, and, and that old, I, I suddenly became more pious, <laughs> right? You know, the old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. None that I've found. <laughs> I think the whole team actually got more prayerful. We're praying in different groups here. The whole team said the, uh, the Lord's Prayer before taking the field. And that same sort of focus struck me when I visited the chapel at West Point many years ago. Mm-hmm. It was just a different focus, and it was really kind of neat. It inspired faith in you and confidence. And once while I was visiting a college, I went to, to speak to a group, and my host sent, gave me a tour of the place. And we visited his dorm room where he was an ROTC member, and he had some of his equipment in his mm-hmm. room. And I noticed this big Rambo-looking knife in there. And he <laughs> picked it up, and he asked me, he goes, yes, you know why Catholics make the best soldiers? And I kind of nervously said, no, as I kept one eye on the plate. He goes, because they're not afraid to die. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what he identified is the faith and trust which sustains our hope in eternal life. And that's, that's what the soldiers rely upon, that help. So, so my question, Chris, is that you were in the Marine Corps. And didn't the Marine Corps have some sort of a model about how to treat a wounded comrades on the battlefield? Like one of the things that I really enjoy about some of the scenes depicting battle is seeing that one comrade carry the other one to safety after he's been wounded. That's right. Never leave a man behind. And we we try and carry that motto not only throughout our service, but throughout our lives. And that's one of the reasons I got into this this aspect of the law is, you know, much like you on the, on the Michigan team, you never really leave it. You're, you're going to be part of that family for the rest of your life. And once a Marine, always a Marine. I'm going to be a Marine for every day of my life. And, and I have loved it. The The Marine Corps did so much for me. And I, I feel like, I, you know, you wonder if, if, if I've done enough for it. Being able to help these veterans and, and being able to put people in a better position who've served their country I consider it not only an honor to be able to do it, but a duty. And to see people who were financially insecure and, and make them secure and know that they're going to be cared for, it, it, it's it's one of the most gratifying feelings you can have. Well, thank you for being with us today. And uh, you made this very large and complex subject a whole lot more approachable. I'm glad. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation, where we are better because of each other. See you next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how you can protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-0000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And for a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to redeemerradio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey, a production of Redeemer Radio.